Welcome to another episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Whether you're downloading, streaming, however you're hearing this, make sure you're subscribing on iTunes. Also, please leave a rating and leave a review. It helps more than you know, and it takes 30 seconds for you to get it done. Uh, also, while we're talking about helping this here podcast, if you're shopping at Amazon, please use the link uh, notsam.com slash Amazon. It's the exact same prices selection. It's the same website as Amazon. But if you type notsam.com slash Amazon in as you, your, your URL, then a couple of cents off of your purchase is going to go to help this wrestling podcast. It's how I keep the show free. It's how I keep all the archives free. It's how I keep excellent guests on the show each and every week. And if enough of you do it, then I'm going to be able to do this podcast forever. So let that be your motivation. Let your conscience be your guide. And enjoy Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome. Here we are again at Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thank you all for being a part of the show. We got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, uh, a lot of stuff going on. Stuff going on inside the world of WWE. Stuff going on outside of the world of WWE. Of course, we'll get to it all in the state of wrestling. Uh, we've got a great guest this week that I'm very, very excited about. And I want to talk about some stuff that I was watching on the WWE Network this week. I don't know if you saw my tweets over the weekend, but uh, I was watching SmackDown from 2002, and that's something that I want to talk about in the break between the interview uh, and uh, State of Wrestling, because I had some observations that I wanted to make about that. But before we do that, before we get into the interview, uh, something very exciting, brand new t-shirt is up over at notsam.com slash merch. If you go to notsam.com slash merch, then you're going to find uh, the first t-shirt listed is the brand new Shill Roberts Shill t-shirt. I've been accused of shilling all my life, and now you can accuse me on your body. It says Shill Roberts Shill. It's uh, the official Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt. So go ahead and uh, shill with me, shill for me, by ordering the t-shirt uh, over at notsam.com slash merch. There's a bunch of shirts there that are available. Boo the bad guys, uh, uh, what's the haps, not Sam mode, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, the whole deal. Go over to notsam.com slash merch, and you can get yourself uh, a shirt. And if I see you wearing one at any of these wrestling shows that I go to, I'm going to give you a high five and a pound. You get both. You have to ask for both, but I'll give you both. No problemo. I'm not going to kiss you, but you'll get a high five and a pound. It'll be great. This week, I want to talk about my guest. It's a guy who I've spent a lot of time talking about here on the podcast, um, and somebody that uh, I, I really wanted to talk to. I just didn't know whether I'd get the opportunity or not because he's a continent away most of the time. However, through the modern miracle of the telephone, it became available to me to talk to the bruiserweight himself, Pete Dunne. Lila's super excited about it. She just has to squeak up a storm. Pete Dunne, of course, uh, made a huge impression at uh, the WWE UK Championship Tournament. To me, his spot was invaluable being the ultimate villain on that show. Uh, anybody who's wrestling on that show that gets that spot has got to be uh, blown away by it. But uh, so much has gone on with him. Of course, he'll be at TakeOver 
He'll be a part of the new uh, UK tournament special. It's going to be on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern and 8 p.m. Eastern over on WWE Network. Um, I know Lila's going to say Lila's going to watch. That's what she's squeaking for. She's like, yes, 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 yes. Pete Dunne is the man right now, and he is the man. To me, I've said it before. I feel like he should be on the NXT show like regularly right now. He should be. Uh, he just he has the aura of a guy who causes chaos and just destroys everything around him. And I want to see him do that to to his competition. I want to see him do that to the to the people that are 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 thinking that he is not the man. And uh, uh, I just don't want to see him do it to me. So, without making you wait a moment longer, I introduce to you this week my guest on the wrestling podcast. He is the bruiserweight. He's Pete Dunne. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, somebody that I've been waiting to talk to for a long time is on the line. Pete Dunne. Welcome to the show. What's the haps, man? Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. Uh, uh, I'm excited uh, at everything that's kind of happened for you and Tyler Bate and all the guys that have uh, that were part of the UK Championship tournament. Did you realize? Because like a, a person like me, I'm a I was aware of a lot of you guys before the championship tournament, but I don't have as much time as I'd like to to keep up with what's going on in UK independent wrestling. So. I think there are a lot of people like me that were exposed to kind of all of you all at once. And it feels like, especially here in the States, that there's a lot of attention being paid to you right now. Were you aware of how much exposure this championship tournament would end up being? You know, it's hard to, it's hard to explain to us uh, how huge the, the, the um, reach of the WWE Network is. Um, and I think... It didn't quite sink in uh, until afterwards. Myself and Tyler Bate were sitting in the hotel after the show and we just turned our phones off and didn't really know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> um, obviously, coming from independent wrestling, we'd been, we'd been around it for a long time uh, and we felt like British wrestling deserved more eyes on it. And uh, I don't think we expected it to happen so fast and to the sort of huge level that it did, really. Um, even now, we can't really comprehend how in six months, I've gone from having a tryout to to being number one contender for the for the UK Championship. It's crazy. When when they first start doing this, or when you first find out you're going to be a part of this tournament, are there any sort of promises made? Is it any sort of like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you guys on, then we're going to do a TV thing, and we're just going to start going? Or do you kind of have no idea exactly where this is going to lead, and it's just a a wave to ride. Yeah, we had no idea. I think, at least my mindset, and I think it rubbed off on a lot of people. I think they thought the same. But just that if this is a one-time opportunity, then let's just make the most of it, and let's just kill it as, as hard as we can, and uh, get as many eyes on British wrestling as possible. And I like to think that it went pretty well, and I think we did exactly that. Um, even now, we're still unsure of what what the future holds with it. But I'm just I'm still just riding that wave and enjoying what's going on. It's it's been great for me and Tyler, Trent, Mark Andrews, Wolfgang, and then for all the other guys as well. It's it's just a huge platform, and uh, whatever it develops into is, is amazing. Yeah, and it seems like too this is one of the first times 
where WWE is kind of allowing you guys to continue on with what you were doing in the UK while being a part of the WWE's UK division. Uh, is that, I mean, is that true? Are there new restrictions put on you in terms of what you're allowed to do in the UK, or are you just doing what you were doing before and then jumping in when WWE has shows? No, WWE have been absolutely brilliant to me. Um, they've looked after me in every way they can, and even from stuff like uh, training in social media and that kind of stuff, um, along with having exposure on these sort of shows and bringing us out to America and training in the performance center and doing all that. And at the same time, they're allowing me to do independence. Um, I'm a bit different to most wrestlers, I think, in that I always looked at uh, independent wrestling as developmental. I didn't necessarily have to be signed to the WWE to be learning that stuff. I was trying to pick up as much knowledge as I could. And I continue to do, to do so. It's just now I also have access to the Performance Center and and even access to people like Triple H, who's great minds behind behind sports entertainment, you know. Um, so the, the, the thing for me is, is it's the best of both worlds right now. Uh, I love independent wrestling and it's not something I want to leave behind straight away. Um but equally, I'm getting to experience the way that, that TV's done and, and the WWE style something completely new. So I'm still learning on, from both sides. Does it blow your mind that you could do both, kind of? Because, you know, you would not You would think that, okay, the trade-off is I get access to the Performance Center, I get access to all these great minds, the Triple H's, the William Regals, the, all these people, I get the exposure of WWE, but I'm going to trade off the stuff that I was doing before. The fact that you're doing both has kind of got to be a little bit mind-boggling because it really, from an outsider's perspective, seems like at this moment it's truly the best of both worlds. Yeah, 100%. Um, I I figured that I would have to travel around the world and pick up as much experience as I could. Um, I even figured at one point I'd have to hold off. If there was an offer from WWE, I'd have to hold off to keep... uh, Building that brand and that name value, so that when I got it, so then when I got to the WWE, it was an easy transition. Um, so I was completely wrong in that. I didn't know that that uh, this sort of deal was was even an option. But I'm so glad that it is. Um, the best of both worlds really is the best way to describe to describe it because not only the independence fun, but it it has been a huge learning curve for me. Um, in the last eleven years, I've almost self trained myself by wrestling with people who are better than me and traveling the world and, and, and sort of making my own mind up and creating my own character. And it, again, that feeds into how great the women have been with me. They've let me be that person, let me be that, that character that I created on the independence. What was the first, like, or maybe the biggest aha moment that you had uh, when you started talking to the WWE? Because I would imagine there are, you know, little things that they go, no, here we do this this way or do that that way or just something that was small but was just something that you had never looked at it that way before that just made perfect sense. The great thing about this is they've given me both the freedom to do myself. We have our own style of wrestling that we've developed over time and they're letting us run with that and that's been great. The biggest moments for me is just sitting there and watching the way the shows are produced, you know, to sit there and, and uh, watch the way they're calling different shots and, and the way they put entities together and 
been watching the whole production because that's something I never ever was a part of. Even the biggest industries, it's it's a, it's a hard camera, a Roman camera. You know, it's edited afterwards. Right. Very rare that you get to see a production like that. Um, so every time I'm there, that's amazing for me. And just just the sheer size of the company always blows my mind. Um, especially being you know being backstage at Raw or SmackDown, let alone WrestleMania. You know, to see how that's all put together. Every single time I'm at one of these events, it's unbelievable. It's a massive learning curve. And it's just really interesting, interesting to me as well to, to see that side of things. What was it like, uh, uh, the UK tournament? So before you get to see WrestleMania and before you get to see TakeOver in Orlando and all this stuff, you guys did the UK Championship tournament. And that was in a smaller venue, probably one that you were more used to being a part of. But uh, what was remarkable to me about the UK tournament was that the WWE still managed to figure out how to bring their production value into something that stayed true to what I think UK wrestling kind of looks like at the moment. Um, what struck you or, or what was it like working with them for the first time on that tournament in terms of the way they actually produced the show? I think I learned a lot about the way that I wrestle and a lot a lot about the character I portray. Being able to watch it back, the way that they'd hot me up and the way that they'd uh, created certain shots and stuff like that. I learned a lot more about about myself as a character and the way to put myself across to people. Um, having that sort of production behind you, it shows that the, I feel like the downside of the always thought to put it first in is there's a lot of great wrestlers, a lot of stuff going on, but the production value is just not there. And it's something we've all been trying to, to work on. There's companies like Progress and RCW that are trying to bridge that gap. Um, but obviously with the, the sheer size of the company and the, and the years and years of experience and the great minds going to WWE, I'm sure that was a, a relatively simple task for them to be able to take the talent and be able to take that intimate venue that makes it such a special atmosphere and then put their production values behind it. Uh, I thought it like it came across really authentic to what British wrestling is and has been for the last five or so years. And did you, when did you find out that uh, JR was going to be calling your match at TakeOver? And does that, does that, is that a big deal to you? Like, did you grow up, you know, because you were in, you, you're, uh, you're in your 20s now. Did you grow up watching matches that were called by JR? Yeah, it seems a really cool thing for me to, to hear about. I only heard about it. Um, I heard about it on Twitter, actually. Uh, oh. <laughs> a couple of days ago. So I think I found out when everyone else found out. But um, I remember I'd, I'd used to work for a company called What Culture. If yeah. You them. Yeah. Uh, and JR called one of their shows. And uh, myself and the lads, there was loads of traffic on the way up to Newcastle. And we ended up missing our match and missing our spot. And because it was I don't know, we didn't get the chance to go on and perform. So I was really disappointed that that ever got to happen. So now I'm really glad that it's a possibility and well, the fact that it's happening now. And wow. the fact that it's happening it, it doing the real product makes it even clearer. Yeah, that's kind of amazing the way that stuff works out. That like you would think I, I when that happened, you know, when you're on the indies and JR is calling your match, that really never happens. So that what you thought is this once-in-a-lifetime thing has now become, I think, in my mind, a lot more special that he is going to get to call one of your matches, but that match is going to happen at a WWE show. 
on an NXT TakeOver show. It kind of... Does stuff like that make you realize that everything that happens just kind of happens and you kind of have to go with the flow and wait and see how things work out? Yeah, 100%. Um, I've been doing this for 11 years now. And what I've learned in the last six months is that it's all about timing. I know a few years ago, or even, even a year ago, I've been really frustrated about my position in wrestling and felt like I deserved more and I really wanted more. So I realise now, if the timing had been any different, I don't think it would have worked out as well for me as it could have. Even being uh, backstage at things like WrestleMania and being at SmackDown and Raw and that kind of thing, every part of you wants to be a part of those shows. But I realise now that these kind of things are really important, you know. If I'd have been rushed straight onto an NXT show, it wouldn't have been as special as having that, that debut against Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, my second appearance on there being, being a takeover event, it's good to space these things out and really enjoy every single one. Uh, so that timing is, is incredibly important. Um, and I think, you, I think you, well, for me at least, it all seems to work out in the end. Yeah, it really is amazing. What what was it uh, about you specifically that that you think it was that made you stick out? Because it was obviously watching watching the tournament. It was really obvious that you Tyler Bate is obviously a guy they want attention paid to because he wins the thing. But the fact that you got that spot, like you got that spotlight put on you as the bad guy of this tournament, the guy that uh, 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 is the disrespectful guy, the guy that has the the stare down with Triple H, the guy that William Regal doesn't like. Like, that's a lot of attention paid to you. Uh, why do you think you were the guy to get that spot? Because to me, that was probably the most valuable spot on the whole tournament. Um, I think it comes down to a couple of things. I think one being the fact that I managed to, to get myself out there and learn when there wasn't really much to learn in British wrestling. I, I paid for my own flights to Japan, America, China, to all of these different countries to try and pick up the, the knowledge that I didn't have back home. And then the, the second thing is, I mean, while I was doing that sort of stuff, I felt like I was getting better and better, and I felt frustrated that I wasn't getting to the, the point I wanted to in wrestling. And I was seeing other people achieve what I wanted to achieve. But when I took myself out of that, I went, okay, what do they have that I don't? I realised I wasn't different enough. So I spent the last year making myself as different as possible. Uh, I really tried to, to design an act and a character that stands out from the, from the pack on any roster in the world. I wanted it to be that if you if you can't just get somebody like Pete Dunn, I wanted everyone, if, if you need Pete Dunn, you have to go and get me. You know, I think that is a big, a big part of it. So it's something that, that I tried to do that would stand out in that way. Um, and I didn't realise how much I actually was standing out until, until after the tournament. It was one of those things once uh, WWE had come in with their prediction values. And you, you really see you know, work in a completely different light when you get to watch it back. You know, I learned loads more just from watching that show back than I had from watching any footage or, or um, looking back at any matches from the independents. You can really see every detail and, and, and realize how to improve. And, and so I think before that, I tried to try to design myself to be different. And I feel like now I'm really, I'm really hitting my stride in the last few months. Yeah. So it was like it was like, yeah, I understand. So you're 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 you had in order to get that, be prepared to get that spot. 
you had to have put in the years that you put into, and you almost had to be as frustrated as you were, right? Like, you had to have watched all these guys succeed, and you had to go through all that in order to take full advantage of the spot that you were put into in that tournament. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And especially being from Britain, it was not just myself. There was lots of guys here who had the same frustrations. We were seeing people getting spots and thinking, why can't we get that? And I think that's the most amazing thing about all of this. Right. Is that as a group, these people that I'm traveling around with previous to this, we're, we're, we're all there together, you know, all the same places that you cross paths with, <laughs> uh, cross paths with on independent shows every weekend. You know, we're all there together. And that's that's the most mind-blowing thing to me. Do you I like that? get there eventually anyway. Do you like but that part of it? That, that it's that it's all of you together and that you're part of a group. Do, yeah. yeah, yeah. I definitely do. I think it's good because you can still keep trying to help each other and pushing each other. And I think there's strength in numbers as well. If we if we want to be uh, a completely different brand and we want to stick out, we want to be a really exciting brand. That's on us now. Yeah. WWE are letting us run with it, and it's whatever we make of it. I think if if you're stepping into a different roster by yourself, it's a lot harder to sort of make it whatever you want it to be. But as a group, we can all put our heads together and say, right, it is the same in Norwich. You know, we're saying to each other, right, we've got to kill it now. We don't know what's going to come of this. We need to make this the best show we possibly can in the hope that we do get more out of this. How did uh, Triple H react to you guys going back on the UK Indies and doing the Triple H spots, the uh, the water bottle spot, the pedigrees, the, the stuff like that, obviously paying homage to Hunter? You know, I don't think I've ever been more intimidated in the first time he brought it up. I thought we were, I thought we were getting away with it Scott through. Uh, I didn't think he'd be paying any, any attention to what we were doing all up the Twitter. But, uh, but he's seen it, and it, it seems like he appreciates it. He's laughing around with us, so, so that's cool. That's a relief. The last thing you want is to is to get back to Orlando or something and, and, and realize that he has no sense of humor whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we were expecting. We didn't know which way he was going to take it. Well, to be honest, we didn't think he would have ever even even seen us doing it, to be honest. Um, but he, he's, also, he's taken it all in good humor. Well, yeah, now that that's part of what is going on right now. That's part, of, I, I, And I think that that's maybe the biggest change of all for all you guys, for you and for Tyler and for everybody, is that now everybody's paying attention to what you're doing. There's no more going to a show in front of 300 people and doing a show for 300 people, everything that you're doing is being watched by everybody because they, they, they're trying to... They're, we're all, all fans, WWE, everybody's kind of seeing where this thing is going together. So it seems like everything you do on the way is being watched by a lot more people than ever before. Well, I, I learned that lesson myself a few months before this kicked off. Um, I ended up in sort of in the normal routine of you go to a show and then you you know, you work your foot in that crowd and you go home and it becomes more of a job. And I'm still obviously really enjoying it but it becomes more of a job. And then one day I was sitting at home, I had a show in Mansfield in front of about hundred and fifty people. I'm sitting at home that day and I, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit demotivated. It's just part of the routine mm-hmm. another day. And out of the blue I get a phone call which I ignored, I didn't, didn't recognise the number so I ignored it twice. And the third time it phoned, I saw that it said Stanford, Connecticut at the bottom. <laughs> so I thought, I better, I better pick this up. So I pick it up, and it just happened to be William Regal, completely out of the blue. 
Wow. And he said he wanted to come along to the show in Mansfield and uh, watch me wrestle. So that, that to me, uh, taught me a huge lesson um, in that it doesn't matter which event you're on. It doesn't matter if you're wrestling in front of 10 people. These days with the internet, that can go viral within seconds and then you can have literally, literally unlimited people. Especially now with WWE really and their huge social media reach. You actually unlimited people that can see what it is you're doing. You can advertise yourself to that. So that was that was a big lesson for me to never take any of these events for, for granted, you know. It become such a big part of my routine, just travelling to another show in a random part of the UK and then just out of the blue there's winning regal next thing I know I've got a tryout by the next month we're taking T V and six months later here here we are about to go over to Chicago for takeover. It's amazing. Uh, what do you think? What do you think this this I don't know if it's this division of WWE? What do you think the UK Championship division is ultimately going to do to the UK Indies? Let's say WWE decides we want to take this full time, and they pull all you guys out of your indie dates, and it's an exclusive thing. Uh, do, do you think that, or do you think that that could be negative, or do you think it's just going to provide more exposure to the UK Indies? and is going to be a good thing. I think it's a very good thing. Uh, I think already we're seeing the the, um, the positive influence that it's given to the independents. Um, every show that, that the likes of myself and Tyler and Trent and Mark and Wolfgang, these shows that we're doing, the houses are always up with more people coming and new faces coming there. And, and maybe they're, they're drawn in by what they've seen on the network, but once they get there, there's this, all, there's this whole other cast of characters that they're introduced to that are, that are just at that standard as well. Um, and I think the more exposure that WWE gives us, the more of us that, say if this does become a full-time thing, it does develop into that, and we get and we get pulled from independent dates, people are still going to do their research, and they're still going to open them up to, to the companies like your progresses, your ICWs, your web pros, your OTTs, and then they're going to start following them. I think it just will just add exposure, and and, and then as well, it'll give the other wrestlers something to aim for. For me, it was always this, you know, mystical light at the end of the tunnel that no one thought we could ever really get to. Whereas now, there's a direct route straight to to WWE. You know, you work your way up through the smaller independents, and if you then get seen by a progress or an ICW, and that gives you the exposure to WWE that you can then move on to a a UK division, and then from there, doing what myself and Tyler have done, and then moving on to NXT, and so on and so forth, and that's never been something that we've had before. Yeah, I think that's probably the best point that I hadn't even thought of, is that this thing that you now have learned for yourself through that William Regal call, where you just never know who's watching or what it's going to lead to, that's not just a lesson for you to learn, that's literally a lesson for everybody who's doing what you were and are doing to learn meaning that now that this is a thing and obviously it's been successful they could be at any uk show trying to sign any uk talent or they could try to do what they did in the uk across any other part of the world so uh i definitely think that's important um are is is do you look at this takeover special in chicago uh do you and tyler do you just want to do a good match, or do you specifically want to steal the show? Every show that I do, I specifically want to steal the show. Mm-hmm. I want to say I, I, I want to stand out, I want to be different, and especially now with exposures, because this 
I, I wanted to be UK proud, you know, I want they were back home to, to be proud of what we've done. And I want all those new new eyes on the product to go, oh, we want to learn more about these guys and introduce them to the other classic characters that we have. Um, especially off the back of the Blackpool shows and then the the uh, UK special that airs on Friday on the network. I'm really proud of those shows and I, and I want to keep the ball rolling. Um, I don't want people to be sort to get built up after them and feel deflated after the match that myself and Tyler put on. So I'm 100% going out there to steal the show, and that's the same for any show that I do. Now, is it any different for this show, just being that it's a takeover show, and anybody that knows anything about anything knows that takeover, the show in general, every match on the show, it seems like the NXT roster looks for TakeOver to be the show that steals the weekend. They always want to do a better show than whatever main roster pay-per-view they're paired with. So the fact that that's the mentality of all the matches going in on this show, now, do you think you and Tyler are capable of putting on the match that steals the show that wants to steal the weekend? I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um, like I say, I'm really proud of, of, of what we've created in the UK, and I think we have something that's completely different. Whether it's the best match on the show or not, I feel like it could be the match that opens a lot more eyes to what we're doing. Um, I don't think it necessarily has to be 100% the best match to do its job in this instance. I think there's going to be a lot of new people watching and not knowing who either of us are or what the UK Championship is. Um, and I think a success that match will be drawing those people in. Um, but either way, I, I still intend to go and steal the show and, and, and have a match of the weekend. Who's been your uh, your biggest mentor in the WWE over the last few months? Has it been Triple H? Has it been William Regal? Has it been somebody else that we don't know is involved? Uh, William Regal is a really big mentor, and Triple H has been great for me as well. Um, I, I think... Not only is it great to hear off them, but it's also great to hear off the, the people calling the shots, you know, the, the people directing the shows and producing the shows. Um, I always like to hear what they think because they see it in a completely different light to how myself and the other lads have always saw wrestling. It's a completely different thing. So there's a lot of people there that are mentoring us in, in different ways, especially when it comes to talking on camera and and even stuff like your entrances, which are obviously much more important on TV than would be on an independent show. So there's a lot of people that are helping with the transition, but I will give William Regal and Triple H the most credit. Well, I was a huge, as I'm sure you could guess by now, fan of the UK Championship Tournament. I think it's probably the best original network special, whatever that category is, that they've done. It was, I think it was my favorite. Uh, so I'm very anxious to see uh, this Friday... Uh, starting at, the first airing is at 3 p.m. Eastern. It's going to re-air at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's the UK Championship Special. That's Friday, 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and then, of course, Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate are going to have the UK Championship title match at NXT TakeOver live in Chicago. Uh, are you going to, do you think you're going to do anything special for your entrance? At TakeOver? I mean, TakeOver is where people do special entrances. Are you think you're going to do anything special for your entrance, or are you just going to let the match speak for itself? No, for me, I'm, I'm not that, that kind of wrestler that wants the, the, the big entrance. You know, uh, I, I try to let my, 
Western speed for itself, and I'm there to get the title, and that's about it. Cool, man. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it, and I appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Here is Sam Roberts. Thanks to Pete Dunn for being part of the show. I, I think he, I honestly think that he and Tyler Bate are going to steal the show at uh, NXT Takeover Chicago this weekend. If you're in the Chicago area and you don't have tickets to see Takeover Chicago, you're going to regret not being there. There is a way you can get tickets, of course. And that is by using SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. I don't understand it, and I understand almost everything on the internet. The reason why it's difficult is that you need to find the best deal for the game, for the concert, for wherever it is that you're going. And none of the older ticket sites want to make it any easier. It's different now because of SeatGeek. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. It's the first place to go to look for tickets to any game, to any concert, to any wrestling show. You put the SeatGeek app on your phone and and you just you, you pick it up. You go, what do the seats look like for TakeOver Chicago? And what they're going to do is they're going to show you the seats that are available. And they're going to rank it in a few different ways. They do price comparison for you, which means that you're going to be able to search multiple ticket sites and ensure that you get the best possible deal. But you never have to leave the SeatGeek app. They do all the work for you. Plus, they help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. So if you don't want to spend a ton of money and you don't care where you sit, SeatGeek is going to find a spot for you. If you want the best seat in the house, but you still like to get a good deal, SeatGeek is going to tell you what kind of deal you're getting on the best seat in the house. It's all available on this app. Either way, no matter where you're sitting, you're going to get a discount. How? Because my listeners, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast listeners, are getting a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Listen to this. You want to get a $20 rebate on tickets? Download the SeatGeek app. Then go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code SAM, S-A-M, and SeatGeek is going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app. Enter promo code SAM today. You're not going to regret it. I was uh, uh, earlier this week. I found myself with some downtime. My wife was asleep with the kid. And uh, uh, and at that point, the TV was all mine. It was a weekend night. And so I scrolled through the WWE Network. And I always think about this match. And I mean, I watched it when it was live. And I'm sure I've watched it since. But it's not one of those matches that people have seen over and over and over again. And it's the match between Hulk Hogan and Brock Lesnar. It's a match that took place on SmackDown in August of 2002, leading to SummerSlam, where eventually Brock Lesnar would defeat The Rock for his first WWE championship. So I wanted to see the match, and I decided to put on SmackDown from 2002. So I could, and I just watched the whole show because I wanted to see the build for it. I wanted to see how Hogan was being used. I wanted to see. Brock Lesnar in the context then and it's amazing because for some reason and maybe it was just because he was a new guy I see Brock Lesnar now as a different beast completely 
than Brock Lesnar when he first started and was wrestling full-time. But, man, if you watch Brock Lesnar during the beginning of his career, he still is living in this context of who can stop the beast. Brock Lesnar then and Brock Lesnar now are not that different. So I'm watching and all I can think about is how mind-blowing 2002 was. And I don't think 2002 in the early 2000s in general get enough credit as being an amazing time in WWE because it was the attitude hangover. During that time, I personally believe that a lot of WWE fans were living in the category of too much birthday. Meaning, we had been given so much for so long and our expectations were so high that after, you know, three, four years of Attitude Era Raw, of Attitude Era Nitro, of, of the first few years of SmackDown, we were almost unappreciative. It was like, it was just every week, just so much being thrown at us that if you watch it now, it's like mind-blowing that we weren't sitting there every single week talking about what a golden age we were living in. I don't even think the post-Attitude Era isn't even looked at as a golden age because the Attitude Era was the golden age. But in 2002, just imagine this. I don't know if people would think about it in this context. In 2002... You're looking at a roster where the main event scene is Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker and Triple H and 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 all these guys. The Rock, Brock Lesnar, all these guys. Kurt Angle. This is what your main event scene looks like. Your mid-card scene is Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Rey Mysterio, Edge. The list goes on and on and on. And then your rookies, the guys that are just coming up, are Deacon Batista with Reverend Devon, are Randy Orton, are John Cena. This is all happening. At one time, John Cena, Randy Orton, Batista, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Edge, Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, Kurt Angle. This is a dream roster by any stretch of the imagination. And it was the actual roster. It was actually happening. And I don't think any of us take enough time to realize that that was an era that actually happened. Because the Attitude Era was so important. Because the Attitude Era, which is your build of Triple H, which is The Rock, which is Stone Cold, which is Mankind, Undertaker. Because that was so important. And meanwhile, you had Nitro going on over on the other end, which is Hall and Nash and Hogan, Sting, Macho Man. But, but I mean, maybe to a lesser extent at that point. But I don't think that enough time is taken out of our day. Every day, we should be sitting there going, can you believe WWE in 2002 was really a thing? And it's like, and, and, and it really was this like, it was, it was almost, you could consider it, it an embarrassment of riches. Because 
it was like we have so much. How can we live up to this? What can we possibly do with all this stuff that we have? We've got we we've got the dream roster, and they're all just here. I mean, that's probably why the WWE Championship was going from person to person to person to person. That's why, you know, there was a, it felt a little bit disorganized week to week. Was it, because it was like you have an entire roster full of main eventers and potential main eventers. Any one of these guys could be and will be champions of the world. And you wonder if, you know, we complain now when we watch WWE, but you wonder if at some point people are going to look at the historical worldwide context and go, did you know at one time the WWE had Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Dean Ambrose, Nakamura, Undertaker to some extent, Brock Lesnar, and go over the ta- Kevin Owens, AJ Styles, and go over the talent. You wonder. Randy Orton, John Cena. If you really, it's almost like WWE, we need to take an inventory of everything that the show has to offer right now and realize, whoa, maybe we need to do some shuffling because there's a lot going on on this show and there is just, it is vomiting potential. It's really, really amazing. Um, But I just, I I loved, and I would suggest that if you have, you know, an hour and a half to kill somewhere, go to August of 2002 and watch that episode of SmackDown where it main events with Brock Lesnar versus Hulk Hogan. And it had this great buildup because people kind of thought that Hogan was going to beat Brock because the SummerSlam match was on the line. And this is just coming off of The Rock versus Hulk Hogan from WrestleMania. So people kind of thought like, oh, I guess at SummerSlam they're going to do Rock Hogan too. And to see Hogan go down to Brock Lesnar, especially at that moment, was like, uh, it was tremendous. It was really a phenomenal thing to see. So I suggest everybody go back to see it. And I made a crack on Twitter about how bad the theme music was. In hindsight, and I didn't mean the theme music to the show. SmackDown was using Beautiful People as the theme music to the show, which I thought was awesome. I meant the uh, entrance music that the wrestlers used. Um, And some of it, in hindsight, I think was uh, added by the WWE Network. Like the the version of Voodoo Child that Hulk Hogan comes out to is uh, god-awful. But that guy, that might have been added later. I don't really remember. There was just like a couple, like John Cena's original music is terrible. There were just a, a few terribly generic theme songs on this thing. And that was more just a, a goof because the real story of that is looking at the talent and, and seeing what that roster had to offer. Now, speaking of what the roster has to offer and what people have to offer, I want to offer something to you. And I want to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club is awesome. It's a smarter choice, okay? You get a great shave at a great price. I, I, For me, it is such a pain in the ass to refill any sort of bathroom stuff. If I run out of toothpaste, I run the risk of not brushing my teeth for a month. I don't even want to tell you what happens when I run out of toilet paper. Uh, but with razors, it's like, you know, you end up using the same lousy razor for months because you don't want to replace it. Look at Razor Ramon. That's what happened. That's why he always had stubble. He didn't have new razors. And when you do finally go to the store to get new razors, you realize how expensive they are. 
It's ridiculous. They're robbing you blind. So I've got a life hack for you. It's called Dollar Shave Club. You could just go and get like a cheap disposable razor and it's going to give you a terrible shave. It's going to nick up your face. You don't want that. You want a smooth, beautiful face. And you don't want to have to spend a fortune on these razors. That's why you get the Dollar Shave Club executive razor with their Dr. Carver shave butter because the blade just gently glides through and it gives you such a smooth shave. Uh, uh, Dr. Carver shave butter is transparent which means it's going to give you a more precise shave because you can see your face as you're going. You too can make the smarter choice by joining Dollar Shave Club. Look, for a limited time, new members are going to get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. It's a couple of it's a few bucks. You just subscribe to it and every month without asking they send you more razors. You never have to do without again. It's a $15 value. It's only 5 bucks. Try it. It's 5 bucks. What have you got to lose? Uh, in your first month, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of Dollar Shave Club's shave butter. Uh, after the first month, replacement tr- cartridges ship automatically at their regular price. There's no hidden fees. There's no commitments. You can cancel anytime you like. But in order to get... The first month for only $5. You get everything I just said for only 5 bucks. You have to go to dollarshaveclub.com slash Sam. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Sam. I can't wait to see how smooth you look. Send me pictures on Twitter. dollarshaveclub.com slash Sam. Now, let's get into everything that's going on in this crazy world of sports entertainment. The only way I know how to do that is to dip inside the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Woo, all right, where to begin this week? Um, well, before we get into final battle, uh, let's talk about the tweets that went out. Uh, over the week, I guess it started, I think on Friday or Saturday, sometime over the weekend, Rip Rogers, uh, who's an old school wrestler, sends out this tweet uh, that's, critical of what he sees every indie match looking like right now which involves basically and I'll, I'll I'll surmise or summarize all of all of what he was saying because I don't want to read the whole thing he posted it was one of those things where he posted an entire note because he didn't want it because it was too many characters for a tweet so he posted an image of a note that was taken on his iPhone which but I'll get to that point in a second but what he was saying was that uh, all indie matches these days are just uh, two young guys that are doing spots that are too dangerous, uh, that don't make any sense, that are unnecessary, don't tell a story, they end the match, they hug, blah, blah, blah. They, uh, he, he gave the criticism, and then he said, ellipses, dot, 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 dive at the end of it. Because that's what a lot of guys do, they dive. After during their matches and everything because it's it's exciting for people to see. Um, and a bunch of guys in the industry got involved. Will Ospreay took full advantage of it. He's already got a dot, 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 dive t-shirt available on his store. Uh, Randy Orton, though, made a lot of headlines by getting involved. He first retweeted it. Then, I don't remember who, but there were people who were critical of him for retweeting it in the uh, industry. And 
he responded by uh, uh, talking about the amount of money that he makes and the amount of people that he's performing in front of. And I understand the criticism from an old school perspective. I understand as a guy who loves storytelling in wrestling, which is I've always explained that that's my favorite part of it is the stories that are told. I get the criticism. All that said, the idea, and I'm more talking about Rip Rogers than Randy Orton, but the idea that an older person in any industry, a veteran in any industry, would criticize the style in which the younger generation is doing what they do and and demeaning it as if to say this is not really what we do is so sort of stereotypical every industry, every generation ever that it's kind of laughable. It's, it's amazing watching it happen. And I think the people that are doing it don't realize they're doing it. It's like seeing the Beatles perform and all the musicians that came before the Beatles saying, well, that's not music. Well, that's not rock and roll. It's like seeing Nirvana come out and all the hair metal bands going, well, that's not rock. That's not rock and roll. I'm sure Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and all those bands were very critical of Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and all these bands that came out going, well, that's not what a rock star looks like. They look like they live in their mom's house, for God's sake. They don't even wash their hair, let alone hairspray it. How are they going to pick up chicks looking like that? That's not what rock looks like. We're what rock looks like. It's like you look at hip-hop, and you look at what's big now, and it's it's Migos, and it's Big Sean, and it's Designer, and Big Sean doesn't really fit in the category, but it's a lot of mumble rap, and it's a lot of rap that isn't even about the lyrics. Songs that Designer does, the lyrics don't even make any sense. They don't mean anything. But the music is doing and saying something else, and the music is translating to younger people in a different way. But there'll still be people that'll say, well, you know, that's not hip-hop. Hip-hop was what it sounded like in the 90s. This is different. It's, it's technology. It's the iPhone that you, that you were using to send out that tweet. There are people that, well, I'm not going to, you know, I don't need an, an iPhone that does all this stuff. What's a, what's a phone for? You use a phone to make calls. What do you need for it to do all this other stuff? Every industry, every art form, everything ever. Watch the movie about Schmidt. And watch as old, retired Jack Nicholson talks about how the guy that's replacing him is going to need his whole filing system. When Jack Nicholson gets, gets, uh, retires in About Schmidt, he's got file boxes and file boxes and file boxes and file boxes full of all the work he's ever done, stacked from the floor to the ceiling, ready to hand it all over to the guy that takes his place. And what happens? The guy that takes his place puts a computer on his desk and puts all the work that Jack Nicholson has ever done in the dumpster behind the building because times change things evolve and audiences change quite frankly is young wrestling today does it look like young wrestling did back then no but if you're wrestling in the 70s then i'll bet you i'll bet you when when rip rogers was on the scene buddy rogers 
wasn't a fan of his. I think Gorgeous George wouldn't have thought the stuff that Ric Flair was doing was really wrestling. I'll bet the guys in the, in the, in the 50s were looking at the guys in the 70s going, that's not wrestling. The same way the guys in the 70s were watching what was going on with WWF and going, well, that's, that's a cancer to the business. That's going to expose everything. The, the, the NWA wrestlers looked at the superstars of WWF as, as, a, as a mark on the business, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as something terrible for the business, something that would, that would destroy us all. And what happened? They saw they, they got a, a, a glimpse of maybe what a larger portion of the population would look at uh, as entertainment in a certain day and age. And the WWE decided to shift their direction towards that, WWF at the time, and change the way things are done. In order to get noticed as a young talent in the world of pro wrestling, you've got to do things that's going to make people talk. And if you go out there and you have... You're, if you're on an independent wrestling show, then the crowd knows, the audience knows. The word independent, right? They know they're at an independent show. They know that the guys, generally speaking, that are in the ring are responsible for the show that they're putting on. And that getting noticed really is up to them or not up to them. Meaning if they want to get noticed, they have to perform in a way that's going to get them noticed. And a young guy is going to have to do something that stands out. If a young guy goes to the ring and he wrestles in a style that was popular in the late 70s, or quite frankly, if he wrestles in a style on an independent show, if a young guy in his 20s on a show that by definition is an alternative to what the WWE has to offer, if that guy wrestles a WWE-style match, people will wonder why they're not at home watching the network. Why would you, if you're trying to make a mark, do things the way they've always been done? Things have to change. Things have to evolve. And as you get older... No, you're not going to go out and do corkscrew planches every other match. Of course not, especially not in front of 50 people. But when you're young and you can get away with it, you better be doing that. You better be diving every match if you can. What, do you, what is your strong suit? Are you a guy that's going to just lift people up over your head and spin them around? Oh, no, because you don't weigh 300 pounds because you're not 7 feet tall? Okay, well, what do you have to offer? Well... You can put on an acrobatic display of athletics like nobody else. Well, then let's see that. And if people will buy a ticket to see it, then by God, you're on to something. The fact is that the guys that are getting criticized for wrestling in a way that is not traditional are making money and are selling tickets and quite frankly are bringing eyes that could be new eyes to this world of sports entertainment. When ECW came out, ECW, the way it was presented, I personally don't think was ever equipped to handle 
a WWE-sized mainstream global audience. That was not the product that ECW offered. ECW offered a product that was an alternative to what was going on in the WWE, and it was it was more dangerous, and it was more severe, and it was more polarizing, and it was more everything. But when they were doing it, there were a lot of old-timers, a lot of old-school guys, a lot of guys that were that were wrestling in the mainstream that were critical of it. But at the end of the day, we look back on that time and on that organization and on the people in that organization as an extremely important part of wrestling history in the late 90s and early 2000s. We, many look at it as revolutionary because it was. You know, I don't think that the, the indie guys are looking to get notice. You need, I, th- I think everybody knows, you need to have a solid foundation in order to be a, a professional wrestler, in order to be a sports entertainer. The goal in 2017 for everybody is to go to WWE. And some people say not, and, and if you don't end up there, you can make a living elsewhere. You know, there's always going to be a story, uh, uh, Young Bucks, there's always going to be a Rocky Romero, there's always going to be a, 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 a Jay Lethal. Uh, uh, Christopher Daniels. There's, there, there, I'm not saying that in order to be successful, you have to be in WWE. But realistically, if you're under 35 and your goal is not to at some point be in WWE, then I, that's, I don't know why you would be in the industry of pro wrestling. Saying that, one would have to assume that anybody who's out there wrestling professionally on any level has to realize that they need a foundation and they need to be able to survive in a world like WWE. That said, for a lot of people, in order to get to WWE, you need to build a buzz about yourself and do something that is maybe different than what's going on on WWE TV right now. If you want to be a an in-ring performer in WWE, The last thing that you should want to do is go out there on the independent level and do matches that you see on Raw. Why? Because they're already on Raw. Why would you get hired to do matches that are already on Raw? You do matches that are different. It builds up a buzz. WWE goes, hey, who's this kid I keep hearing about? You come in and you figure out a way the same way Finn Balor and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and and Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. The same way all those guys came from the independents where they were doing something different than what WWE had to offer. They come in and they figure out how they can blend their styles and the WWE styles into something new. That's the whole point to all of this. So to be critical... Of, of the style that the young guys are doing now, I think is, is off-putting and, uh, and, it's, and unfounded. Especially if you're Rip Rogers. I mean, this is, you know, I love Jim Cornette, but this sounds like when Jim Cornette was sitting there talking about guys like Kevin Steen and Generico and the Bucks of youth and all these people that were never going to get over because they weren't doing things in a traditional way. 
and you're talking about guys that are at the top of their craft right now. Can you imagine if AJ Styles didn't do spectacular moves off the middle of the top rope? Would he be where he's at today? He's got a lot of skill, but AJ Styles knew that he had to do things that were different. He had to stand out. He had to be able to work a style that was unique to him that stood out. And anybody that wants to be successful has to do that. So, you know, this idea that, that, that oh, they're all predictable and blah, blah, blah. Like, I hate to tell you, but you sit somebody who's under 30 in front of a TV and you put on some of the uh, TV studio old school wrestling and you're going to have guys, you're, you're going to sit there and they're going to say, this is, all looks exactly the same to me. This all looks exactly the same. There's a generational disconnect. Young people look at old wrestling and it doesn't relate and everybody looks the same. Old people look at young wrestling and it doesn't connect and everybody looks the same. Some people are aware of that and that's the key, right? The key to survival is to be aware of that. And if you want to stay relevant, and this goes for wrestling, this goes for music, this goes for movies, this goes for television, this goes for anything across the entertainment field. If you want to maintain relevance, stay up to date, do any of this uh, with what goes on now, you have to be aware of that, that your instinct to put new things down because the old way was better is the same instinct that we all have to claim that the music that came out when I was in high school is better than any of the music that's come out since. And if we become aware that that's what we're doing, then maybe you can shake it off and go, you know what? Maybe I should listen to the crowd on this. Maybe before I decide, ah, this, this isn't good at all. Let me listen to the audience on this. Let me listen to the fact that when I make a claim that this isn't good, I get bombarded with people who tell me I'm out of touch. You know why that is? Maybe I'm out of touch. Maybe I'm out of touch. Speaking of of, of young wrestling and young wrestling organizations, I was at the Ring of Honor uh, War of the World show at the Hammerstein over the weekend. And I will tell you, Ring of Honor still puts on an amazing live show. Uh, I think that, you know, the Young Bucks are a huge asset. Cody Rhodes is a huge, huge asset. Uh, Marty Skrull, I, haven't, I can't say enough about him. I'm such a fan. And, and, and going to shows where New Japan is there uh, definitely adds a lot to the Ring of Honor experience. But I have to tell you, there is one thing. I thought Ring of Honor did a great job with the pay-per-view. Uh, I think they are doing a really good job of sending stuff home with people, meaning there is something for people to talk about. Hey, did you see Ring of Honor last night because this happened? When a Ring of Honor pay-per-view is on, there is something for the wrestling blogs to talk about, which is necessary. It's necessary to survival of the company. And they're very good at that. Ring of Honor has gotten better and better and better at storytelling, which is, to me, storytelling, even for Ring of Honor, is as important as the in-ring product is. 
And Ring of Honor is finding a nice way with the help of the things like the Bullet Club to... They've got great in-ring action. They've got that down pat. That's not a problem. Now combining that with good storytelling, that's where it's like, okay, now we're at the next level. And Ring of Honor is doing a good job with that. But there are a lot of elements. If I can be critical, and you know, I don't necessarily like to be critical. I'm a fan. But if I can be critical about Ring of Honor for a moment, um, there are elements that need to be improved on. And maybe I'm being too harsh. Maybe it's not across the board. Maybe it was specifically for this show. The pay-per-view where Adam Cole won, uh, joined the Bullet Club. Great, right? Uh, it's great. And if you remember the way it went out, you can YouTube it if you don't remember. Uh, they ended up super kicking the cameraman. And then the camera was down on the ring mat, and they were looking right into the camera lens and spray painting it and stuff. The whole Bullet Club was as the pay-per-view went off the air. That's great. But in order for Ring of Honor to be perceived as a company that you have to pay attention to, I was watching, I watched the pay-per-view, seeing it live and seeing it on pay-per-view were two different experiences. Because I went through and I saw how it looked on pay-per-view. And in order for Ring of Honor to be taken seriously and to get to the next level, they have to get somebody in the TV truck. They have got to get somebody in there that knows what they're doing. The whole Marty Skrull joining the Bullet Club, to me, was this amazing, huge thing. And it was one of those things like, well, of course I should have seen this coming. Why didn't I see this coming? Is it really going to happen? It's really going to happen. Like There was all this emotion poured into that segment. Which is, you need, right? And it was accurate, and it was well done. Because Ring of Honor has this thing where sometimes they go the sportsmanship route, and sometimes they go the entertainment route. So you really believe. You're watching, and you believe. Maybe Adam Cole is getting the proper send-off. Maybe Adam Cole is getting the hug goodbye. Even though we saw the same thing with, with Prince Devitt, the same thing with AJ Styles, of course that's how Adam Cole is going to go out. Because it's Ring of Honor, you go, oh, maybe it's this, maybe this is like a, you know, it, it's Bullet Club, but it's also the super click. Maybe this is just like a farewell to the click moment where they're all going to hug. Oh, no, of course not. But the reveal of Marty Skrull being the newest member of the Bullet Club, to me, lost a ton of momentum on television simply because of the way it was shot and the camera angles. And I thought the whole segment needed a really good director in there to tell, uh, you know, the, the, the camera people were out of place. I, I don't know that this, I can blame the Ring of Honor wrestlers for being out of place. I know the camera people were out of place. The hard cam was on top of the entranceway. So... When the wrestlers were playing to the crowd, instead of playing to hard cam, they were just playing to the crowd, which meant we ended up seeing people's backs. The moment where Marty Skrull takes off his mask, because until he took off his mask, it could have been somebody else under a Marty Skrull mask, theoretically, right? We don't know for sure. Is that really him? Is that really him? It's him. But the moment that he took his mask off, the camera went to... Adam Cole and when Adam Cole was directing to realize it really was 
uh, reacting to realize it really was Adam uh, uh, Marty Skrull, the camera went back to Marty. So we missed Marty taking off his mask, and then we missed Adam reacting to it. Furthermore, Marty opening his umbrella, instead of being shot head-on, was shot in a profile. So you could tell it was a Bullet Club logo on the umbrella, but that umbrella should have opened up right into your living room. Like, boom, front and center, there, because the, the logo is so cool, and the umbrella has become so iconic with Marty, and it's like, boom, there it is. That, that fame, that logo that we all love, it gets us all pumped up, stamped right on the front of Marty Skrull's umbrella, right in my face. Let me see what Adam Cole is seeing. Boom, Bullet Club right in my face. And even the taking off the jacket to reveal a Bullet Club t-shirt underneath. Shot via profile. It wasn't dead on. It wasn't straight on. And, and it was like all these moments where it's like you have to connect with the audience that's at home. I, watching this on TV, I'm paying money for it. It's a pay-per-view. So I need to feel like I'm connecting with those characters. And they've got the characters, right? They've got the people involved that they need to get involved. I can connect to the people that are performing. And the people that are performing have the ability to do so. But if you don't allow it to happen because of this vehicle that ushers them into my living room known as a camera, well, then I can't, I can't connect. And all of a sudden... And people probably don't even pick up on it. I think most people don't pick up on it. But what does happen, regardless on if you pick up on the specifics, you're left with this feeling of low budget. You're left with this feeling of being an outsider watching something happen on an indie show as opposed to watching something happening right in front of your face which is how you're supposed to feel if you buy a pay-per-view. So I, I, I hope that the fine folks at Ring of Honor take a hard look at, at how especially that whole moment was shot because that's one of those moments that you should be able to replay for a long time. That's one of those moments that you should be able to replay and look back on and it's a big, it's a big part of Ring of Honor's history, of Marty Skrull's history, of Bullet Club history. So that's something that... that shouldn't be forgotten about. That's something that should be a part of video packages for a long time, and you can't show that on a video package because you don't have commentary on a video package, and you shouldn't unless you leave it on, but you shouldn't, and you don't have the shot of the umbrella opening right in our face. Maybe maybe I'm being too specific, but for me, I picked up on it right away, and, and, and I, I got bummed out about it, because I'm such a, I was such a fan of the angle, I was such a fan of the whole story being being displayed. You know, I'm I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Anybody who knows this podcast knows, I'm a huge fan of everybody that was in the ring. Young Bucks, Adam Cole, Marty Skrull, like these are all the best of the best of the best. So, you just want to feel like it's spilling out into your home, and and it didn't for me. Other than that. Ring of Honor does a great job with their pay-per-views. And I would suggest buying Ring of Honor pay-per-views. It's a, it's a, it, was, it was a really it's a really fun way to spend an evening. Cuz the, the matches are really good. The the quality 
of the cameras are great are great it looks when you're watching it it looks pay-per-view quality i just had some issues with the with the directing and the production that's all um but the matches are great the, the they had they get the best talent and they allow them to do what it is that they do so i would i would highly recommend buying ring of honor pay-per-views but if i'm ring of honor or if, if i'm talking to ring of honor then i would highly recommend getting a director who can who can or or just coaching the director you already have i don't care you know people don't need to lose their jobs but finding a way to tell that story so it spills out into the living room um a lot happened in the world of wwe uh we have two big shows coming up this week well i guess three technically the i'm, I'm excited as we talked about with uh pete dunn earlier i'm excited to see the uk special this weekend i'll definitely be watching it um i think you know it's funny and i don't know if it's just me or if it's how people in general are feeling i'd love for you tweet me at not sam so you can tell me because i'm not sure but i i'm myself i am more excited about the nxt takeover special than i am backlash and i really think it's because of the UK championship match at Takeover Chicago, of the I'm I'm serious. I'm 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 looking forward to seeing Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate try to steal the show. You've got Hideo Itami versus Bobby Roode for the championship, which uh, I think is a great choice. You know, you 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 get scared that NXT is on this uh, loop where it's just like big star, big match, guy in the crowd. That guy in the crowd is a big star. He gets the big match. Next time, guy in the crowd. Like, the last thing you want to see is Nakamura versus Bobby Roode. Oh, Drew Galloway's in the crowd. Next pay-per-view. Bobby Roode versus Drew Galloway. Oh, Adam Cole's in the crowd. Next pay-per-view. Drew Galloway versus Adam Cole. Oh, you know, Joey Janela's in the crowd. Whoever's in the crowd at that point. You don't want to see him go on a loop. So... I'm excited to see Hideo Itami back. Uh, I'm excited to see this match. And Hideo Itami, it's really interesting what what his injury did to him. Hideo Itami, I feel like, is starting from scratch at the moment. He came in at the same time that Finn Balor came in. And who knows, without the injury, where we would be at in the career of Hideo Itami. But he's been on the shelf for so long. I mean, think about it. This is a new generation of NXT competitors, of people watching NXT. The whole thing is different. And this is Hideo Itami's reintroduction into it. I don't think that he really did enough before his injury. He was just getting started. So I don't I don't think that he got started enough. For people to be like, okay, you know, we've we've kind of seen it. We know what he has to offer. Like, there was no question about whether or not Hideo Itami would be going back to NXT after his injury. Uh, but but I think that he's necessary, to tell you the truth, to NXT. I think that, that he's necessary for filling out that main event level. You know, who do you have now? Hideo Itami gets added to Bobby Roode and maybe Cassius Ono. And Drew Galloway, obviously. 
but it thins and thins and thins the way people drop off. You know, this would be a great opportunity for somebody like Ty Dillinger to go up the ladder, but Ty Dillinger's already over on SmackDown. So I think Hideo being back is a huge, huge positive, and I think NXT needs him, and I love him being in this main event. Uh, I think Bobby Roode is going to keep the title, but I think that it's it's a credible challenger that allows Bobby Roode to maintain his championship reign. You know, Bobby Roode doesn't, can't get looked at as a guy who is an iconic NXT champion if all he's done is beaten Nakamura a bunch of times. You know, you have to you have to go through challengers. You have to go through eras. You have to go through different people. So Hideo now being added is good, and it gives us some time to get to Drew Galloway. Hopefully Adam Cole will be showing up. I wouldn't be surprised if he was. Um, I don't I don't know how. Well, here's the thing. You know, I was thinking about Adam Cole. And if I'm in WWE, Adam Cole is showing up at Backlash. If I'm WWE, I'm going, look, everybody expects to see Adam Cole doing what Bobby Roode did, what Drew Galloway did, what all these people have done. Putting on a suit, sitting down in the front row to watch TakeOver. It's been done over and over. If Adam Cole doesn't show up to take over on Saturday, we're going to assume he's being saved for the Brooklyn takeover before SummerSlam. Now, if he shows up on Backlash, that surprises everybody. What if Nakamura beats Dolph Ziggler and here comes Adam Cole to take out Nakamura? You know, I think him showing up on SmackDown as a bad guy right away Strong look. A strong look would throw everybody off guard. That's what I would do if I were running things. Um, I don't think that that'll happen, but that's exactly that's exactly how I would play this card. I think that, you know, Adam Cole is one of these talents where before there were a bunch of them. There were a bunch of the indie guys that we were waiting to see pop over to WWE and to NXT. Not anymore. Not anymore. And the fact that we've seen... Kevin Owens and Finn Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura, like we, we've seen a lot of people who had fame outside of WWE go on similar routes to get to where they, where they are today. It's refreshing to watch somebody do something different. That's why AJ Styles, I think, has worked so well because he just showed up at the Royal Rumble and just hit the ground running. You still need to have that, you know, think about Braun Strowman. And we'll talk about the injury but Braun Strowman just showed up. He had done some stuff on NXT house shows and things like that, but he hadn't developed uh, any kind of television character in NXT before he showed up to Raw. There is something about a new face being on Raw that hasn't been on WWE TV before or SmackDown. And I think Adam Cole showing up on Backlash uh, would be the move of all moves this weekend, but we'll see. Uh, of course, there's the uh, triple threat match. Uh, I'm very excited, by the way, that Ruby Riot's in NXT. I haven't really talked that much about it, but she uh, was on the East Coast Indies as Heidi Loveless for a long time, and uh, I saw her wrestle a bunch of times, and I'm a big fan, so I'm very, very excited that she's there. And, of course, the uh, tag titles and the ladder match. I think it's going to be a really good takeover show. The takeover shows, I feel like, uh, uh, happened at WrestleMania this weekend. I think this is just where NXT is right now. I think the takeover shows get slept on a little bit just because on paper... They're not 
maybe as they don't jump out at you like they used to. But uh, I think this one's going to surprise some people, and I think that uh, I think it it this will probably be a better show than Backlash. And I don't think Backlash is going to be a bad show, but I think Takeover Chicago is going to be better than Backlash, especially. I mean, my expectations for that UK Championship match are high, so I'm excited for that. Uh, as far as uh, Backlash goes. Um, I think that they've done a really good job of promoting it and presenting it. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, that it's really become sort of a, a full circle show. And there's a lot going on. I think that Nakamura versus Dolph Ziggler has been promoted the right way in the sense that it's a match that you're going to want to see, but it's not going to confuse anybody. It's not the main event. So the, the fact that there's a match that is that hyped and is that big of a deal, but it's the middle of the card, is a good thing. It's something that used to happen more often than it does now. Uh, the Jinder Mahal-Randy Orton match, I think is great because we don't know who's going to win. If I told you it was going to be Randy Orton versus Jinder Mahal a month ago, then you would have rolled your eyes and you would have considered this a match that was really just being put in place so that Randy Orton had somebody to face and he was just going to beat Jinder and move on to the next thing. But that's not the case. Everybody's watching this match wondering if Jinder is going to walk out with the championship. It's a very real possibility that Jinder Mahal leaves Chicago with the WWE Championship, which is so crazy based on where we were right before the Superstar shakeup, it's kind of just amazing to watch. And honestly, if you don't get all caught up on where we were a month ago, it's not a championship that is necessarily one that I would discredit. I think it works as a bad guy being the champion. I think it works. You know, and he can beat Randy with the help of, this, of the gender heads. And, and, and there's a lot that could go down. Um... Kevin Owens versus AJ Styles is just amazing. It's almost like they don't even have to promote that one. Um, and and for those of you, and I know there are a lot of uh, Eric Rowan fans because I hear from you guys. I look at my Twitter, and I didn't even I'm, I don't dislike Eric Rowan, but I felt like his character hadn't been developed to the point where anybody would actually be a true fan. You know, he's kind of just ends up being the punching bag of the Wyatt family uh, historically, but. I know there are Eric, Eric Rowan fans, and any of you who are, if you haven't watched Talking Smack this week, do yourself the biggest favor because Talking Smack just gave another superstar the opportunity to shine in ways he's never shined before. Eric Rowan was really, really good on Talking Smack this week. Um, he displayed this character. It was almost like, like, it's not supernatural. And it's not even like stupid or redneck or anything. It's all, Eric Rowan is almost like a, like a misunderstood serial killer. Like a, like a serial killer that shouldn't have been a serial killer. Just somebody that went wrong somewhere in life. His brain has been warped a little bit, but he's not being cartoon character crazy. He's, it's more sociopathic than it is psychotic 
and it's really it's really cool to see. I thought Eric Rowan did a good job of coming forward with a character on SmackDown on Talking Smack this week. So if you haven't seen it, make sure you do because uh, it actually they're doing a Luke Harper versus Eric Rowan match at Backlash and. The segment on Talking Smack actually gave it a reason for being. And it made it feel like maybe you should be afraid of Eric Rowan. Talking Smack gave you a reason to be afraid of Eric Rowan besides, he is way taller than me. I'm even less annoyed at the sheep mask with the gas mask on it than I used to be. When he first started coming out with the sheep mask with the gas mask on it, I'm going, what is that? Like, it was creepy before because it just looked like a little kid's mask that he just had. Who would go and, like, now it looks like a mask that was designed to look scary. Ooh. But the stuff he was doing with the masks on Talking Smack this week was brilliant. I hope he keeps that up, that he shows his different emotions through different masks that he carries to the ring with him. Plus, I mean, I think we'll finally have a really cool Eric Rowan toy, an action figure when it comes with like four or five different masks that shows different emotions, a clown sheep mask, a broken sheep mask. I think I, 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 the possibilities are limitless, but I was very impressed and happy with uh, what was going on with Eric Rowan. Happy mainly because I'm happy whenever anybody gets an opportunity to show a character. I don't think that's done nearly enough in this day and age. So whenever anybody gets to do that, uh, it makes me happy when they do it well. Speaking of doing things well, we'll go on to Raw, uh, I think Kurt Angle, in order to be the best Kurt Angle possible, needs a lot more comedy. Kurt Angle, uh, in non-comedic segments, they don't really have him doing anything. It's not Kurt's fault, but he doesn't really do anything when he's on camera. You know, I think that that, that first segment, when we first learned that uh, Kurt Angle was the Raw GM... And he was moving into his curtain office, which, oh, that annoys me to no end. Why can't they just use an office? Just go into an office. Just put a couch down and a desk. Have him sitting in an office. Goodness gracious. But when he first moved into his curtain office and he met Enzo and Cass, and he was like, S-A-W-F-T, that's not even how you spell that. Hilarious. I think Kurt needs a lot more comedy, and hopefully there'll be some kind of story with him that unfolds sooner rather than later that that adds some tension to his segments. General managers need an enemy. They need a reason for being. We either need a, a, a bad guy enemy that's trying to get away with stuff, or I don't know. There's got to be some kind of thorn in Kurt Angle's side in order to make this work for me. But that said, I still think Kurt Angle is the guy to uh, perform this. I think he's great. Um... You know, I was very interested to see Goldust's heel turn. I, I guess that'll just... I'm, I'm I'm excited for a Goldust R-Truth match. Hopefully he goes back to the, the full wig and the robe and the whole deal. Because that's the best Goldust. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much longer Goldust is going to be there. He's in amazing shape, so maybe he'll be there for a while. Uh, but I'm interested to see where it goes. See... I think that, that big character jumps like that are more important to happen to guys that are younger, that actually need development in their character. I think Apollo Crews needs that. 
I think Apollo Crews needs to fully embrace Titus O'Neil. And to me, just in the way it was portrayed, Apollo Crews kicking Enzo in the head this week on Raw wasn't really a heel turn. It was more just like, ha-ha, I kicked Enzo in the head. I, that, that, that's just, I mean, that's the way to me it was portrayed. I didn't see that as a, whoa, you know. I thought it was just, yeah, get out of here, Enzo. Oh, okay, ow. My head hurts now. I think uh, Apollo needs to fully embrace the Titus brand. Like, don't, I don't need Apollo kind of pointing out how silly Titus looks because we all see how silly Titus looks. I need Apollo being there to be like, no, you're wrong, Sam. Titus O'Neil is the man. I'm a part of the Titus brand. If I was in charge of anything, I'd be very happy. But I would, uh, I would make it so that, okay, what do we know about Apollo Crews? We know he smiles a lot. Some people say too much. What I would do, what is the Titus brand about? The Titus brand is about making money. The Titus brand as an idea is so great because it, 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 it goes towards all the athletes that end up creating quote-unquote brands that don't really do anything. There's a culture that, that is so uh, interested in creating a brand, and it exists in, in 2017. There's this idea. This, it's not even just athletes, but this sect of people that are so interested in creating a brand that is a business that they don't actually provide any goods or services. They just create a brand and think that like, well, this is my brand. I should be able to make money off my brand now. That to me is what the tightest brand is. Like, what are you talking about brand? You don't do anything. What's the tightest brand? You don't have t-shirts. And even if you did have t-shirts, what's it a t-shirt of? What's it a t-shirt for? You know, all that stuff. Um, but I think, uh, and, and that's natural bad guy stuff to me. That's an easy way to be relevant and be a bad guy. The fact that we know this, it's about making money and we know Apollo smiles too much. I think Apollo should refuse to smile unless he gets paid for it. He should point to his mouth and act like he's about to smile and go, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. This smile's not free. Apollo, you don't smile anymore, you know? Kalisto goes back to him in the locker room. Man, you don't smile anymore. What happened? Oh, I smile. I get paid to smile. And then Titus, you know, comes in and, and he breaks it up because Titus is getting his 10%. And then eventually you can make Apollo Crews a good guy again when he realizes that uh, uh, Titus O'Neil has been taking all his money or something. Like it's, it's, it's built in right there. But in order to get to where we can go, we got to go in the direction where Apollo Crews is a full-on selfish bad guy who's in it to make money and is taking Titus O'Neil's advice to get that money. You know, he's looking out for himself and Titus is helping him. That is the Apollo that that's where we go with Apollo Crews. Uh speaking of good guys and bad guys, they were trying, man. I saw, you know, at the end of Raw no, not in the middle of Raw when Roman Reigns beat Finn Balor. They were going to all the signs in the crowd. Oh, we love you, Roman. We love you, Roman. But what was the soundtrack to those signs? Boo. Roman Reigns is a bad guy. 
He just is. If you want to hear what it sounds like when a good guy goes to the ring, listen to what it sounded like when Finn Balor was going to the ring. There was no, no question in a match between Roman Reigns and Finn Balor who was the good guy and who was the bad guy. Who cared about the WWE Universe? Who cared about himself? It was all flat out like good guy, bad guy stuff. Roman Reigns is a bad guy. He's already made the heel turn that everybody's been asking for. He's there. It's Dunsky. It's just a matter of embracing it. Like, it's there. He's a bad guy. Braun Strowman is a good guy. When Braun Strowman finally comes back, oh, are they going to lose their minds for him, these fans? And, and, and you know, WWE's got to know that. You know, the timing of the Seth Rollins turning into a good guy thing did not pan out because everybody wanted him to be a good guy after he came back from his injury. So that's one of those lessons. Let's learn from history when Braun Strowman comes back, right? Is that crazy? Maybe it is. Maybe I'm nuts. doesn't seem that crazy to me, but I've been wrong before. Um, They said Braun Strowman was going to be out for six months. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not a doctor. I don't even know any doctors. They don't want anything to do with me. But... I think that he will not be out for six months. I think that we were told Braun Strowman will be out for six months because that way it'll be this amazing feat when he comes back before six months. But who knows? Maybe he'll be out for six months. If Braun is going out for six months, then in the meantime, your match, in my mind, is Samoa Joe versus Roman Reigns. Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe has run its course. People kind of want to cheer Samoa Joe. People kind of want to boo Roman Reigns. It kind of it makes sense. Samoa Joe's a monster, just like Braun Strowman is. So I think that you have, uh, yeah, you've got, you can do Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt. No, I do. I would do Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar. I do Bray Wyatt and Finn Balor. I think that's the match that people have been waiting for. It's been teased. And I do Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe. If Braun is going to be out any more than, you know, four to six weeks. I do... I, I'm looking forward to the Fatal Five-Way, Extreme Rules Fatal Five-Way. Um, and I hope, I, at this moment, you know, coming off of Raw, I feel like Finn Balor will win just because of all the references to how he's small and because he's not directly involved with anybody else right now. But I feel like I want to save the Finn Balor-Brock Lesnar match. I don't want to do it at the at whenever they're going to do it. You know, I, I want that match to be something that I know hasn't happened yet. And maybe we put Seth Rollins back in there with Brock Lesnar in the meantime. I'd be cool with that. I'd be absolutely fine with that. Either way, I'm looking forward to the weekend. I think it's going to be a, a, a tremendous weekend for all of us fans of sports entertainment. Don't forget, for all of you that think I'm too positive about WWE or that I'm shilling for them, you can get the new Shill Roberts Shill t-shirt at notsam.com slash merch. Shill Roberts Shill. Show everybody that you support me shilling, whatever that means, every single week here for WWE and, quite frankly, all things pro wrestling. Uh, thank you all for being a part of the show this week. Don't forget to leave a comment. Leave a review, subscribe, do the whole deal on iTunes, um, and we'll be back. I've got I've got a bunch of great interviews planned. Sometimes you know it's funny with this show. 
sometimes I'm scrambling week by week to get interviews done for you guys, and then other times I have a pretty good plan of what's coming. And that's what it's looking like this week. A pretty good plan of what's uh, of what's coming up in the next few weeks, and we've got uh, we've got some good, 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 good podcasts coming. Thanks again to Pete Dunn, and we will see you next week right here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I thought you might still be there. You're afraid to leave, aren't you? I wanted to tell you not to forget that for a great shave at a great price, join Dollar Shave Club. New members get their first month uh, of the Executive Razor and a tube of Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value, and it's only 5 bucks. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash Sam. dollarshaveclub.com slash Sam.